Sit back in your seats, get something to eat, and watch this movie. Don't let the kids see it, because, well, let, let, we'll let you hear the, the, the um, video. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to Left of the Projector. I am your host, Evan, back again with another film discussion from the left. Before we get into this week's discussion, I have a couple new announcements to make. The first, I have launched a Ko-Fi site where you can subscribe to the podcast or make a donation to help cover the costs of the show. You can check it out at ko-fi.com slash leftoftheprojector. As well, you can also follow the show on Instagram, TikTok, as well as YouTube at Left of the Projector Pod. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. All right, we are back again this week to discuss the movie Get Out. And for this episode, I am joined by Ryan, who has a new podcast coming out called The Conscious Environment Podcast. Thank you for joining me, Ryan. Thanks, Evan. Uh, thanks for having me on, man. I thought this was a good movie to start out my uh, horror October as I'm kind of featuring some horror movies for the month of October as it is Halloween season, as my uh, my kids would would uh, would say. It starts in the end of September. But this movie, you know, it's been uh, been about five or so years since it came out. It came out in 2017, and so you know, for anyone out there who hasn't seen it, um, we're not going to kind of go through a you know, a breakdown of the actual plot of the movie. But when you when you saw this movie again um, for kind of prepping for the show, what are your sort of overall maybe impressions of the movie in terms of still holding up? Um, because I I think it holds up. I mean, it hasn't been that long. Um, but what are your what are your thoughts on that? I feel like this movie ages like a fine wine. Um, I uh, yeah, me me and my wife we watched it um this this weekend we watched it just just last night um actually to kind of get me in the back in the headspace i hadn't seen it since i think i saw it in theaters when it first came out and then i saw it like maybe a year or two after that and i haven't seen it since but you know there's always been conversation about it and people have always it's it it was an instant classic. If you're into horror movies, you know, this was like an instant classic. And I watched it again last night and I'm like, this is even more like special than I think I remembered it was. And a lot of the themes and, you know, things to talk about are, I, I feel like I noticed more stuff this, this, uh, go around than I did even the first couple of times that I've seen the film. So I think the film definitely holds up. I think it's still poignant. Um, and I think it's still scary as hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a kind of a common theme when I watch a movie. I mean, it definitely is a different feeling when you're watching a movie where you're thinking about the themes as opposed to just kind of watching it. Obviously, you're still watching it to be entertained. But I, I agree. I think that the themes in this movie not only hold up, but I feel like they're almost more pertinent. And, you know, he really made a timeless classic horror movie that was pretty different and very, you know, it, I hadn't, I don't think I'd ever seen, there are, aren't very many horror movies, especially directed by, you know, by black directors in general, or especially coming from a kind of a comedy background. I know Jordan Peele also was a horror fan growing up, but I think the, the, the outside of this movie is we kind of, talk through the movie through some of these themes is you have the kind of the common trope of of any horror movie or even not a horror movie a rom-com where you know a boyfriend is going to visit the girlfriend's parents and i think that's the the setup to this movie as they're getting ready to go out to uh to see chris uh the the main the main character is going to see her parents uh rose and so you already have sort of this instant scene where there's instantly injection of the awkwardness of you know having not told her parents that her her boyfriend was black so you know i think it's from the outset you already have you know it's gonna what's what you're in for right exactly and um you know as a as a a black person who has been in interracial relationships my my wife is white i am currently in an interracial relationship and it's 
it, yeah, I remember having like in high school similar experiences and like these ideas and it just like this movie personifies a lot of things that I remember reading this um this interview with uh Daniel Kaluuya the who plays Chris the the protagonist in the film and uh later on in the movie there's like this super awkward kind of backyard picnic party kind of thing um and he talked about how he's been to that uh to that party many times you know in his life he he feels like it you know what we see in the movie is the experience that, that a lot of black people have of kind of this awkwardness where people feel like they have to explain you know or ask you all these you know really intrusive questions because you're kind of the spectacle and i think jordan peele did an amazing job kind of writing this in a way where it's you know it's somewhat subtle like i think it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty in your face with what the themes and what the point is but in a way that i think a lot of the black community watched this film and was like Oh yeah, this is this this happens. This this happens to us. This is how this is how it works. Right, and then I think on the other side, I think his intention. Um, we I think I mentioned this right before we started recording, was that Jordan Peele also wanted to replicate, or maybe not replicate is the right word, but to um, put on display. I think to the white audience, um, like myself, of this is how that experience is for. You know, someone who's black at a, maybe at a party where it's predominantly white. It was not. It was to make you feel uncomfortable, and I think he succeeds in in that in that sense um, of the movie. And I think one one of the other that we'll probably mention it too. But this is a I wrote down a couple of quotes as I wa- watched the movie, and one is very early again in the in the scene before they embark on their trip to I think it's upstate New York. I assume they don't say exactly, but. Um, the girlfriend Rose tells Chris that, you know, oh, quote, my dad would have voted for Obama a third time. And it comes into play a little later when he actually says this, the father. So I feel like it's this, um, you know, the, the, the white character trying to, you know, um, be buddy, buddy, or to kind of have something in common that they, that they don't necessarily feel or have. I don't know if that's how you saw or... Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I think I wrote down in my in my notes here, uh, liberalism versus leftist. Uh, (laughs) And I think that's definitely, you know, that's the frightening character. And I think that's, you know, for like it's a black horror film for sure. But like you said, the I think the point was kind of to show a mirror up to white liberals to be like, hey, you know, you're you're kind of scary. (laughs) Yeah. That's the other part of the horror, I guess. Right. Is, you know, it's, it's horrifying and you have this kind of, um, you know, uh, false awkwardness. Like you, you feel uncomfortable watching these characters just be so awkward. Like the secondhand embarrassment. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. That's Uh, a good way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah, like you're watching the Armitage family and you're like, oh, they're so like they're insufferable. Like they're and something I was thinking about um the whole time. So Allison Williams, who uh I think she's M- Marnie on Girls. I never really watched Girls, but uh if you're listening to that character, um and she plays Rose, Chris's Chris's girlfriend. And I feel like I have dated this girl. Like all these passive aggressive, it's, it's not straight up gaslighting kind of thing, but she just downplays all of his feelings. And I think a lot of kind of white liberalism, it ends up being that where it's choosing peace over confronting like a genuine concern because Chris's concerns aren't you know insane he he doesn't make a wild claim throughout basically the entire film but he just keeps pointing out things that are weird you know his phone gets unplugged um he thinks the mother hypnotized him uh and she downplays all of it 
I mean, right from the start, like if you just want to just jump right to the beginning, because I was thinking of um, the song that plays uh, right when those two characters are introduced mm-hmm. and it's this song by, um, uh, by childish Gambino. And it's this very like Shakespearean storytelling because uh, it's stay woke ends creeping don't close your eyes uh too late and the lyrics are like foreshadowing what is going to happen in the rest of the movie and it's a very specific kind of needle drop like right on that part of the chorus because that's not really what the song is about but they chose this part of the chorus that just kind of is almost talking to chris so you're 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 getting all these themes in your head this stay woke you know they're creeping on you don't close your eyes uh or it'll be too late and then you know you watch the rest of the movie and you go oh that's what they were talking about yeah in in general the soundtrack of this movie since you mentioned it is very good and very well crafted And, and since you mentioned the song i think the the one thing that we kind of quickly skipped over was when uh, like well what's his name the actor Lakeith Stanfield who plays Andre mm-hmm. is, is abducted at the very beginning of the movie and I think the song that's playing is a uh, Rabbit Run um, which is also I felt like a perfect song I can't, that's not the name of the song though um, uh, no I think it is it's like Run I think it's Run Rabbit Run oh, is okay. the name of the song yeah and I felt like in that too was a very it it felt like the right song and um, I think the the next scene that I think is worth discussing before we get to the house, uh, which I had a couple notes about, was when they're driving there, they hit the deer on the way up, Allison, uh, sorry, uh, Rose uh, and Chris. And then the cop comes and he's asking Chris for his ID and he doesn't want to give it to her. And Allison, again, oh, I keep saying Allison, Rose um, is you know kind of standing up for him. And the, the thought that I had in my head was she has the ability to stand up to the cop and kind of be mean to him or or demand that Chris not have to show his ID because she is white. And so she can, you know, uh, be that person that, you know, Chris is just trying to go along, give him his ID, move along. Um, again, it feels also like a, a specific moment that probably lots of uh, people have experienced. Yeah, for sure. Like, I remember first... I I remember when I first watched it having the same exact reaction that Chris does in the film where he's like yeah I'll just give him uh I'll just give him the ID because you know and he even says to to Rose like you know babe it's okay you know it's it, it it's fine just let it go and she doubles down and eventually the cop backs off but I do think it's like kind of interesting, like knowing jumping ahead a little bit in the story, kind of looking back on it with 2020 vision. Uh, it's also her getting rid of a paper trail. You know, Chris is disappearing into the, the cops yes. can't have his name on good, file somewhere. That's a good call. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I feel like it's uh, I guess it has a double meaning in a sense. Yeah. And uh, I feel like we're going to run into that a lot with the way that Jordan Peele um, is is writing this this film. I think it's why it's so universal for a lot of people is a lot of the things are scary on their face for two different reasons. Like the racial aspect makes it scary for a certain person. But then when you kind of squint at it and you're like, oh, yeah, it's a horror movie. <laughs> um, like. The line I, I wrote down that's right before this is he's talking to uh, little Ray Howie, uh, which is one of my my favorite characters, the yeah. TSA agent, yeah, his Rod. best friend. Rod, yeah. yeah, Rod. He's talking to Rod and Rod just says to him, like, my advice, don't don't go to white girl's parents house. And they're they're laughing and he finally gets off the phone and you're kind of having this this moment that of like oh yeah is this going to be you know is this a a thriller or like is it a horror movie kind of you take a step back a little bit from it and then they immediately hit that deer with a giant jump scare and it's like oh yeah that's right this is a horror movie like jordan peele knows what he's doing like it's a horror movie yes, uh, yes. it's 
Yeah, there's going to be jump scares. It's going to they're they're supposed to freak you out. And then I I I think the very next scene we're at the house. Yes, that's right. And so the the you know the um I think this is where you start to kind of unc- or get to sort of one of the the themes that I noticed in this movie and actually what um brought it to mind even before I think I think I saw a video I posted online um, about um, sort of overt versus covert racism, and that I sort of was watching this movie from that perspective. I mean, not m- my personal perspective, but just from the interactions in the movie. And I think once they get to the house and they start interacting, Chris interacts with the mother and the father, and then the people who work at the house, um, which we obviously learn what they are later. But there is constant sort of this covert, um, I think, racism that begins to occur even prior to that party you mentioned earlier and some of the other instances, I feel like that plays a big role, um, you know, throughout the movie. Yeah. The, I mean, this is, we're starting to get into the, the Dean Armitage's kind of my man talk, which Rose uh, makes a comment about in a later scene, but you, you get that feeling and and I think this is part of the really smart writing on on Jordan's part. You know, it, it's for a lot of for a lot of black people, and you know, even kind of anecdotal from myself, I've I've met that man before, like as in that character, I've met that dad before, who we're not gonna say anything about race but just so you know that he doesn't care about race he's gonna let you know how much he doesn't care about race and it's not that big of a deal and how you know it's not a big deal is because he told you and it's like you're the only one talking about race (laughs) this in this entire time and so it's like those little comments the my man and oh uh, it's in the trailer but that really cringy scene where where he's staring at them on the couch and he goes so how long has this thing been going on and you're like ugh, stop why please stop talking like that i mean he may as well have just been like i feel like all of those kind of things he's saying to him would have you know been summed up by him being like oh i don't see color you know i feel like that's like the line he was trying to uh impress upon upon it by saying like i'm not racist because i'm saying all these these things that you know means i'm not yeah and i i feel like it's even like almost more insidious because this is this is kind of the the white liberal take where Mm -hmm. they're beyond the i don't see color thing because that's almost universally seen as like kind of like a racist dog whistle. Right. And and it's funny because like this movie came out in 2017. He wrote this during the Obama years, but it feels almost more poignant in 2022. Right. Um, But kind of this idea of, we're not going to say I don't see color because he wouldn't have made the comment about Obama. Like he sees color and he, quote unquote appreciates it but it's almost like that person's more dangerous because like blackness is a commodity and something i i um i noted when he's giving the tour he talks about all the different countries that he's been to and how he's a traveler and how he always has to come back with a souvenir i wrote that down i always have to come back with a souvenir um and it's like he acknowledges that he's in a different country. He acknowledges that he's interacting with a different culture. That's probably black or brown. I for, I forget what country he says off the top of my head, but it he he acknowledges all of that stuff. Like so, he acts as though he's appreciative of the culture, and that's what he wants to do. But ultimately, we we realize that that's that's not going to be the case. But it's almost like the people who are too zealous are. Almost or like scarier. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think he, I think he even mentions when he's talking about the um, a souvenir. He says, um, the the line he says, it's it's such a privilege to be able to experience another person's culture. Know what I'm saying? So he's trying to say like, oh yeah, I'm 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 I can see where you are from, like where you're coming from as not you know, a white American. And then he goes into the Berlin Olympics and Jesse Owens and his dad. I feel like that whole scene is just truly, it's kind of off the rails. 
Y- yeah. But, and I like the little line. Like this is, I almost, I, I had to pause the movie because it was just like rapid fire. <laughs> um, like just line after line after line that I think you got to watch this movie twice, at least to feel like, oh man, this is crazy because, um, he they walk past the basement door and he says we, we're 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 not going down there because we've discovered some black mold down there so we keep it um we keep this that part of the of the basement locked away but it's again later you're like oh black molds oh i get it <laughs> I, yeah that- and then um uh, when he talks about uh his his mother and saying how she loved the kitchen um, and this is kind of a little bit of movie magic kind of storytelling, right? Like just cues from it being a, a literal film. So he says, I, uh, uh, they're walking into the hallway. Um, he's uh, walking towards the kitchen down the hallway and he says, I, you know, the kitchen was my mother's favorite place. So we keep a little piece of her in there and it's a hard cut to Georgina's like insane, plastic smile standing in the kitchen and that's like oh that's that's the little part of his mother they do keep a little part of his mother in there yeah like in the first watching you don't like when you first the first time you saw those the movie those aren't you know maybe you you know in retrospect you notice those things but when you rewatch them especially um i i noticed that that part too and it's there's lots of nods to like the little you know, uh, horror aspects that we haven't really gotten to yet. You know, just like any good horror movie, you have that 40, 45 minutes of buildup of, you know, a little bit of a little bit of humor, a little bit of awkwardness. And then you kind of get into the, you know, things are getting weird, which is, I think, where we're kind of headed. And, um, you know, Chris starts noticing things are, are different. And, you know, he, you mentioned before, like his phone gets unplugged and all of these different pieces and you know then you kind of have um you know rose sort of gaslighting him and um you know telling him things that that aren't happening so i I think you mentioned gaslighting before kind of from earlier in the film but is that kind of throughout the entire movie until sort of chris uncovers he's actually becomes a prisoner you know he's uh captured and he's in the basement is that how you saw all of the characters sort of primarily rose but kind of gaslighting him and especially given the fact that we know that she's leading him on the whole time so it almost makes it even worse because it's all an act yeah so her like heel turn at the end i think i i wanted to see it coming but it still kind of like was a gut punch because her character is very good like she almost gaslights the the audience in the same yep. way of having this completely ignorant view of the world like this very innocent white privilege kind of view of the world where everything chris does and i guess where it's gaslighting is everything chris says and everything chris does is he, he's exaggerating He's exaggerating and it's all going to be okay. Don't worry about it. And that's, you know, kind of when Jordan Peele says his favorite movie and what did kind of inspire him a little bit was Rosemary's Baby. Mm-hmm. It's definitely, you can feel that where everybody around him seems to be telling Chris that like, it's going to be okay. And all of these things, like kind of getting back to overt versus covert racism all of these kind of covert microaggressive racist things also intermingled with horror movie tropes like you know he's completely secluded the nearest neighbor is across the lake um they keep unplugging his cell phone just little things like that but when he brings it up she just tells him everything's gonna be okay he's fine don't worry about it you'll be fine everything's fine everything's fine everything's fine until he starts to believe that, like, maybe it's fine. <laughs> like, I, I, I guess, I guess I'm okay. Like, nothing bad has happened, and that is what racial gaslighting is, and what it feels like is nothing 
too quote unquote bad has happened yet in order for you to feel justified in your outrage. But I guess that's sort of I, when I think of it sort of in real life, you know, it's sort of you're able to be, you know, tricked or, um, you know, go along with something you may not want to because because of all the gaslighting, you kind of just, you know, it's uh, it, it wears on you, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, they, there's been like kinds of uh, lots of studies kind of about this sort of PTSD almost, uh, like racial gaslighting leading to like a sort of PTSD where you're back in those situations and you've been so um, conditioned to to having to have a bigger reaction that you end up like kind of freaking out like a little bit. So in in our world and in, in in our reality, they have been studying like how much this kind of wears on people and like what the like dealing with racism all the time, like what the physical problems are. But I think the I th- I think I think the the next scene st- kind of starts to pit those two ideas of covert versus overt together like against each other is i think it's the dinner scene where the brother comes yes oh man what did you what did you think about that scene like the brothers he's going crazy yeah yeah i think his name is jeremy um Yeah. yeah that that scene was i almost feel like that scene is more uncomfortable Watching, I mean, especially maybe as uh, a white person watching that, is it's so cringy, almost more so than the party that's, uh, I think, the next day, um, where there's all those very uncomfortable old people saying things. And I think why I see it that way is when it came to the party, I mean, you know, kind of, obviously, the undertones of all this is we know the motive behind everyone at the party. Whereas at the dinner, I think it's just the people there being themselves. You know, Jeremy is being what he is. And it was super uncomfortable. He's, um, I think he was showing his own inadequacies to himself mm-hmm. as, you know, because he was trying to compare himself to Chris as, you know, being stronger and playing sports and all these different things. And it was very uh, cringy is just kind of the only word that pops to my mind when I when I watched that part. Yeah, and I think that is kind of begins. I think like the thesis of the film is the black body as a commodity, mm-hmm. right? So if you want to get into like a little, uh, a little Karl Marx like fetishization and um, like the the issue of the commodification of things that shouldn't be commodities that's where he's coming from and that's why chris feels so uncomfortable and and you feel uncomfortable watching that scene cuz he's talking about him like you would talk about it, like any other just object and like we're watching a a man objectify another man for the sole purpose of like fighting at this point but it doesn't it just feels like this 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 kind of gross display of like, yeah, you're like nothing about you, but just your, your genetic. What does he say? I think it's your genetic makeup. If you, if you um, pushed yourself, you would be a beast. And it's like, <laughs> I don't want to be an animal. Like I don't need to be a beast, you know? Um, and it really is hard to ignore that they're they're using you know his body um, literally as that commodity because as we see you know in i don't know 20 30 minutes left later in the movie when there's literally just an auction which they call bingo for them to bid on him as an actual commodity yeah exactly um so we run through this awful party of them trying to figure out which aspects of him that they do enjoy and yeah that's that's where it just is overt racism the entire like the entire time like the it it starts off slow with the tiger woods thing but like the 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 sexualizing thing with the with the older woman where she's like she turns the rose and she goes is it 
is it true what they say? And it's like, ugh. (laughs) But I think one of the most frightening, like, like as far as like a horror movie kind of goes, like I think one of the most frightening parts of that, of that series of scenes is when Chris goes upstairs to, I think he's trying to call Rod again, or he's, no, he goes to check his phone, right? something. He goes to get his phone. But it's like, as soon as he leaves, everybody stops talking and they just stare. Oh, so and that would, yeah, that, that scene still gives me the creeps. Cause it was like the confirmation to the audience that like, yeah, this is weird. It's just as weird as you think it is. And maybe even weirder. <laughs> yeah, I was going like, to say, it's so- weird, more weird. Something, yeah, something is happening because they, this party isn't a party. It's an interview they're they're looking to like they're trying this is all about him and if he's not there there is no party yep that's the word i wrote down was interview (laughs) yeah Yeah, i mean it literally is they're basically sizing him up so you know he like gives one guy a handshake and he's like oh it's a firm handshake and i think the, the, the one scene i think amongst the party that was probably the most awkward i think there's sort of I think there's an Asian I don't they don't say whether he's you know Chinese or or uh, an Asian man and I feel like it's super it's I feel like that was like the most overt racist part of that among all the other aspects of that and and I think there's also the mention of like black being back in style um, yeah that I wrote that line down which uh, also was uh, super black is, is that yeah, what said? black, black is, is back in style and it's like Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that entire scene, and I think what what makes it even brings back the gaslighting is I feel like Rose sort of had warned him prior to the party, like oh, it's going to be super awkward to kind of prepare him, but she doesn't really. And I think this is the the they end, like he he leaves the party because it's so ridiculous, and they are talking while they're having the auction part, and it seems like she's trying to kind of bring him back in. And like not let him leave because he he can't leave or the whole all of this would have been for not all of her hard work to convince him that she loves him or or whatever. Yeah, that but that happens right after he tries to take the picture for Rob. Oh right, yes. Because right. he comes down with his and that's the that's the trailer. That's that's the moment that made me want to get out and watch the movie. Is he's there and he tries to take a sneak picture of the guy Logan, which is Lakeith Stanfield mm-hmm. um, th- that we eventually see uh, later. Lakeith Stanfield is now this completely different person. He was Andre, but now he's Logan. This guy in this linen suit with this straw hat on. He looks <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. And he, uh, while he's talking, he goes to take a picture of him so he can send it to Rod, and this flash goes off. And whatever that does interrupts their uh, hypnosis, which we didn't even get to the sunken place. Oh, yeah. uh, that wow. was a scene or two back. Um, the the sunken place with like the hypnosis, um, but apparently snaps them out of it is a bright flash of light, and that's where he charges them, and he's get out, get out, get out, get out. And that's this terrifying moment too of like, whoa, what's, what is the, the, what is happening feeling that they give the audience the entire time is like just masterclass with, we feel so much. So in his shoes, almost the entire, the, the, the entire film, we are just, just distraught by like what is happening to Chris. And then they end up going to the, to, to the lake while they're having the auction. And I think it's interesting. I don't, I don't know if you clock this, but the, the guy that ends up, um, buying him, is that how we have to say it? But the guy that ends up, uh, getting Chris he is blind. He's a blind art dealer. And he keeps talking about wanting his eye, which even, even the first time I saw the movie, I was like, that, that doesn't make sense. Right. Like we got to know that doesn't make any sense because his quote unquote, eye isn't literally his eyes. 
right? Like we know that. Like we're, yeah. we, you need his brain, like the way that he views the world. It's not because of his physical eyeballs, <laughs> like right? So right, if this yeah. guy was an amateur photographer or semi-pro photographer, and he never made it, so he went into art dealing, dude, this isn't going to work either. <laughs> you're, you're, you're never going to make it. <laughs> I mean, obviously, any good horror movie starts to give you those little painted little notes. And I think the scene you were talking about before with uh, Andre or Logan is you know that it's now that same person from that opening scene. But you're trying to figure out in your head, I think at this point, I'm trying to think back to when I hadn't seen the scene for the first time, is I kind of had the idea that they were hypnotizing people to do things for them. You don't know how deep this plot goes and i think until the scene you just mentioned with i think it's jim who owns like hudson gallery i think yeah yeah hudson hudson art dealers hundred art yeah that's right so i think that sort of like is the turning point where you know at that moment that he is going to win the auction i think i mean again it's hard to put yourself back to the moment you saw it the first time but at that scene you know what's going to happen at the auction Right, yeah. Like as it is as soon as you can tell like that it's an auction, it's like okay, well, yeah, this guy they 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 t- they showed us this guy so that we could know that he's going to that he's going to purchase him. But this is um honestly something that I brought up with um with my wife last night and I was having trying to articulate it so I could talk to you about it today. Um but thinking about this idea that um it like there is a certain level of kind of like class the capital that is happening here like they're so rich like we never know how rich the armitages are or any of the people that they are but we know that they're so rich that they have surpassed usual commodities like they don't show us a boat they don't show us any fancy cars like more than like the bad guy lineup of like black suvs we see that but we don't uh we don't see any sports cars um even jeremy he has like an older sports car but it it's it's not like an an insane car no it's like Um, a ferrari or something it's like right, a yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it's it's you know it's a nice car from a it's a vintage car. It's probably great, um, but we don't get any of the usual commodities. Like their house is very nice; it's a huge, but the furniture is modest. It doesn't have like a big blown out like modern look to it or anything like that. It's not open floor plan or anything. It's just like a big house that looks like it has a bunch of additions on it, and it's on a bunch of land. But the way that we know that they're rich, and, and I think I don't know if you clock this either, but we know we don't know how much they pay, or like we can't tell how much. No, they say thirty. I feel like, and I I just assumed. Um, I guess they don't really say what that represented. I mean, it had to have been, or maybe it was three, or I don't know. I I would just assume that it was in the millions, considering um right yeah kind of you know just hoping it's not it's not thirty thousand dollars you know that's is is that what a person's worth but it's i think it's just kind of an interesting observation on on class too like we get to this point where human beings aren't human beings anymore they're just another form of commodity and you get this when the when you know, now we're in the basement. They, um, Chris has figured out that it's a ruse. He's figured out that Rose is in on it and he gets knocked out again with the teacup thing. And now he wakes up in the basement. They, they have the TV of exposition and then they, uh, and then the guy, the, the blind art dealer gets back on the TV and it's a two way thing and he's able to talk to him. And he ends that off by saying, don't lump me in with them. I don't care about your race. You know, that's that's not what I'm doing it for. Some people do it 
to feel stronger, to feel better, to feel sexier, to feel all these things. But that's not what I want. What I want is deeper. What I want is that I, man. And then he just kind of, they just kind of stares at each other. And then he says, you know what, I'm, I'm done here. But I think that's such an interesting, almost more frightening thing because everybody else is doing it because of, of racism. But that guy, he's doing it because he's rich and he can. But I actually, this came to me when you were talking about the basement. I feel like the basement is actually nicer and more um, upscale, has a pool table in the room he's in, than the upstairs part of the house. And then the the thing that I was going to mention before I just thought of that was, it feels very much like the auction and the whole, um, you know, almost richer than everyone else and they don't even have to show it. It has a very, you know, slavery kind of vibe to it. They're literally auctioning off a black man for his body. Uh, I don't know how much of a... I don't feel like it's much of a stretch. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty on the nose. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I like that they almost use like a funeral type uh, portrait of him. Like it kind of gave very much so that vibe of like like Chris... Like he's... he's they, they With the device, they explain to us that he doesn't die, but like his life will will effectively be over. I I thought that was pretty good imagery with yeah. that with the 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 big giant picture of him right next to it. Right, right, but, right. And and the other thing too, I think, you know, that uh Jordan Peele does a good job priming us for this the whole time because the entire time Rod is continuously talking about how like they're going to be sex slaves, and I think that's <laughs> why when I first saw the movie, I was like, oh, they're just like hypnotized. And then I, I guess it's all spoilers, right? Yeah, yeah <laughs> and no, then, don't worry about that. <laughs> and, then, and then we find out that no, they're actually transplanting parts of their of the the white guy's brain into the black guy's brain and keeping motor functions or whatever. They're gonna be in the sunken place the entire time. And the other guy's going to be driving, but it's like a, it's a brain transplant. Like it's this wild science fiction, like body horror kind of thing. <laughs> like, and, and I think you mentioned, you mentioned Rod. I think what also I think is like uh, that Jordan Peele really hits on all like the perfect horror tropes, but not in like a, um, you know, recycled way. You know, Rod goes to the police to try and tell them about like the sex slave aspect of it. And they at first you think they're going to take it seriously and then they just laugh at him. Um, which is, you know, the com- I feel like it's a common thing you see in a horror movie where you're trying to tell someone like that there are all these zombies or whatever it is and like, oh, haha, sure there are. And then, of course, you know, he ends up being right, almost right. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought was really interesting about Rod's character because in any other film, Rod's character would be play, it, Rod's character would be wrong. Um, he's the comedic relief kind of thing that's supposed to come in and be, you know, levity for us. And he would be outlandish and be incorrect, but he's right the whole time. <laughs> he, he warns him at the beginning, as you said, in the car. He says, like, don't go to that per- that person's house. Yeah, yeah, right. He says, don't go in their house. And then at the end, a perfect bookend where he's now in person with him in the car talking to him. And the first thing he says out of his mouth is, I told you not to go into their house. <laughs> but I think... Um, some uh, I was gonna say something I, I I clocked too that I I I really liked is they they foreshadowed a lot of ways to um to harm it, it, for him to end up you know quote unquote defeating the bad guys like he plugs his ears with uh cotton that he pulls out of the chair. It's a very poignant kind of moment um, that he pulls out of this leather chair that he just keeps gnawing at, kind of just scratching at it until he's able to get that out. But I, I don't know if you noticed, but he he ends up killing all of them with almost decidedly markers of like affluence. Yeah. Like the mounted deer. He kills Dean with that. Um it the knocks picture. over an expensive looking, you know, fancy candle uh, that sets fire to the house. The bocce ball that he uses, yeah. which I will stand on this. Jeremy should have been dead. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. 
I, I I love a good jump scare. I love them coming back. It's a horror movie. I get it. But we have to stop pretending that people can get knocked out and not be different when they wake up later. Yeah, yeah. No, that was one of those um, moments. You know, obviously, in the first first time you see it, you don't know that's going to happen. But again, I think that's another instance where Jordan Peele perfectly brings in that, like you said, jump scare person you think is dead. I mean, that literally Halloween franchise has made fifteen movies based on that premise. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And then um, another thing I clocked too with kind of the show of affluence and and that being almost one of the one of the villains is it it looks as though um, Rose when she changes out of her New York City girl look into her home Armitage look she she almost looks like she's wearing wearing like like riding gear mm-hmm. i noticed that yeah and oh and my wife would be so mad at me if i didn't bring this up she's eating um fruit loops <laughs> dry fruit loops and drinking milk out of a straw like a psychopath <laughs> well her the one thing that i was talking to a friend about this movie before i rewatched it and she was kind of pointing out that i i feel like uh, Allison Williams's character, uh, Rose, the entire movie, I feel like she slowly becomes more kind of, I don't want to say like just crazy. It seems like not the best way to describe it, but she does transform slowly throughout the movie. Yeah. And um, I was actually just, I, I, I can't remember where I heard this from. I think it was another podcast I was listening to kind of talking about this idea. Um, and they were saying it it's not that she it changes to something different she was something different and this is the real her like it's being and revealed. like you can yeah like you could see it when she has the phone call with rod he calls and she answers the phone and they keep cutting back between rod and her and she is just stone faced but completely acting mm-hmm yeah. And it's just yeah, it's it's a really wild thing. Um yeah, to 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 see it so jarring and really disturbing. Yeah. Oh, something else I, I, I wanted to mention, I want to think uh to say is when they're um when they go to when he's watching the the little video about the coagula, the the Translate, science fiction yeah. thing that they do, they end it with a mind is a terrible thing to waste. <laughs> I, I wrote that down too. And that was a commercial from the United Negro College Fund to inner city youth about going to college. And I just, it's such a clever, um, just kind of another little nudge that like, yeah, we we know that we're doing this to black people and we, we know what we're we know what and why we're why we're doing this and and it's it's on purpose by design yeah but it's almost like they need them you know they need their their bodies their labor and so you know they need them to continue going through the system so that it's that's available for you know rich rich people who are beyond commodities and now they're literally just trafficking people again Right, yeah, they're they're just completely beyond everything. I, I just think it's such a such an interesting kind of also little little stab at classism that like it's it's it, they're so beyond just normal stuff that they have to just they have to figure something else out like to to buy people to buy bodies because I always think something interesting with like science fiction and things like that is not necessarily the end result but like the technology in itself like this technology it is amazing and they they could have done it with anything they could have put their bodies in in robots and lived forever but that's not the point like the point is to be to be racist at at some at at some line they they kind of get down to that that that's what it is and um i i think that is perfectly kind of 
bookend with the with the red and blue lights at the at the at the end of the at the end of the film just kind of feeling like man like no matter what he's going through this is probably one of the scarier moments like do, i i remember when i was in the theater like the whole room made a sad sound yeah. like everybody went oh no like when when the police lights come on at the at the very end and then they open you know rod opens the door and it says airport on the side of it and you're like wait a second wait who is that and then it's him and it's and my theater almost stood up and cheered <laughs> it, it was it was a perfect um you know because in, you know there are lots of horror movies where it would end you know with that moment where there isn't a re- like that sense of release whereas in this you do get that um that feeling uh there was actually one one line i mentioned i wrote down um or actually maybe before that i was going to say is i think the other aspect of the the technology you mentioned um all of the people the the grandmother the grandfather who are in these people are working it you know they could have had them i, I don't know why they i feel like them being out and actually doing chores um was almost like they had to have them on display for their that was the rich fancy that was the object that people come to their house and see, right? All that whole mm. procession of all the people coming to their house. They didn't have like a crystal, you know, vase or some fancy, you know, rug. It was that was that was their possession that was better than everyone else's. It, it yeah, exactly. And and touching back on, you know, this is slavery with extra steps, but. Yeah, how is that not the the same the same thing that at 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 that time that would have been your big commodity would have been like I have these people that work for me. Don't you want people that work for you? Right. <laughs> or like I'm able to. And I, I think it's very interesting too that um, you know, uh Dean or maybe maybe that's the plan, but like they haven't changed themselves or anything you know what i mean like they're still holding on to their their whiteness and their roles like they like you know allison rose's character or jeremy's character like even though jeremy seems like he really wants to be he isn't in a black body you know why why not they're the ones doing all the doing all the work it's it's they don't have to quote-unquote pay for anything because they do the labor themselves on that part you know why isn't he part of that but i think it's because he's not he's not supposed to you know it's it's more beneficial in the position where he's at right now than he would want to be at some you know at at some other time right you know he still doesn't he wants our rhythm, not our blues. You know, he still he still doesn't want to be black, but right. he well, wants the pin- all the cool things that come along with it. Right, and like his his the Dean and Missy are essentially. I mean, I, I was kind of in my head also thinking about how they've convinced their own children to act this way because Rose has been doing this. She had that little trophy box, like a serial killer, you know, in her room, which is what I think tipped Chris off at the very end. As to what was going on, because she had said she never dated a black person before, and obviously it was a lie. So they've been doing this for years and years, presumably all the time. But there are only two people at their house. There's um, the grandfather and the grandmother, and then the on the uh, Lakeith Stanfield's character. So, but presumably, if they have this video they're doing and all this, there's lots of other people out there that they've done this to. Right. Yeah. Because I. I think there's something in that back shot. I think there's like 12 people because in the scene that I was referring to earlier where she's eating the Fruit Loops and drinking the milk behind her, cause she's sitting on her bed again mm-hmm. behind her on the wall, which they weren't there before are the framed pictures of her and all of the different black people her that trophies. she's been with. Yeah, all the yeah, exactly. They're they're trophies because it's like she's a serial killer. But yeah, exactly. It's 
was she always like that? I, I mean, I guess, you know, you would be raised in it in that flashback kind of thing that, that, that commercial for this, for this product. Uh, she's a little girl. So she was literally raised thinking that this is what you were supposed to do. This is what you were supposed to be. And it, yeah, that's, that's okay and good and fine. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be any different to, you know, if you were the children of a of a slave owner or something like that. That's just, you know, that's what we do to keep our wealth, keep my privilege, keep whatever it is. So, um, yeah, it's um, I, I, I didn't notice the Fruit Loop. I did know she was drinking milk, but the, the scene with the pictures behind her, it presumably is like another, like her other bedroom that somehow Chris didn't see, which they don't really, that's also strange. Oh, I think... I, I think it's the same bedroom, but she had just she put the pictures up. Oh, okay. Like okay. all those pictures get taken down because he notices, like he clocks that little room, and because the doors open earlier in the movie, and then yeah. it's closed for the rest of the movie until the very end, and he clocks that it's there in the beginning, but he doesn't go in it. And I think it was her running in and taking everything down or making sure that it was all set and then putting it, putting all that stuff away. And then later she's, she opens it back up because tonight's the night. He, it doesn't matter what happens. He could find it. It, it doesn't make a difference. Right. Because they're, they're well past. They've already sold them. They're kidnapping him. He's, he's gone. Chris is gone. There's maybe a couple moments in the in like the final final scene that I thought were there are some little notes that I wrote down is um or maybe it was right before that when he's when they're leaving the house uh, I think either Dean or Missy says to Chris that that he was Rose's favorite which almost tries to inject like some level of humanity into her as not being the psychopathic person who's luring. Black men, but at the same time, I don't think it's enough to succeed in that. I don't know if you if you yeah. That line. So I I wrote that down too, and I clocked it as something else. Um, she she doesn't say you're my favorite, and, and because I I rewound it twice so oh. I could be positive. She says you were one of my favorites, oh, and I know of. it's a small distinction, but one of just it's it, it's the moment that you that you would have expected her to say you were my favorite right. and and it'd be like a lie and you're like oh yeah but her almost saying like you were one of my favorites almost adds like an extra layer of like kind of insidious truth to it like yeah yeah like yeah you were you were one of the people that i enjoyed the most of doing this thing i don't actually like any of you though but out of everybody you're one of the few people that i enjoyed more than the other people and it just i i thought that like almost separated her even more into like this kind of you know psychopathic kind of zero empathy thing like yeah it's just a it's just a job to her but Right. Yeah. No. no I, I'm and, glad you, and I guess glad they you, never explain. Yeah. I they they never explain why she she does it like that, and Jeremy just straight up kidnaps people. <laughs> right. It's like I think that that almost makes her more to just kidnap someone. Like, yeah, that's horrible to do, but to lure someone, get into a relationship with them, bring them out to your parents, like that that is psychopathic. Yeah, because it's. I think they say it's five months in the beginning of the film. Yep. They do. Like that's insane to me like she would just i don't know just just do all that i don't know how i I think i noticed this before but you mentioned that jordan peele's favorite movie is rosemary's baby so it makes perfect sense that he would name the character rose of course right yeah yeah there's there there's a bunch of nods to um uh to other you know earlier horror films and things like that yeah this is his you know psychological thriller you know scary scariness yeah and i yeah. think us is probably his more straight up slasher horror yes uh, more gory film. for sure yeah this is yeah there's uh you know a kill count on this would be pretty boring because you have you know almost 
85 minutes of movie, 90 minutes of movie, and then you got 10 minutes of just insane kills. Um, you have like the, the mother going to stab him with the letter opener and he just puts his hand up and the knife goes right through his hand and he doesn't move because he's just gone. He's, he's on, I'm going to fight all of these people mode. <laughs> the, the moment where you were rose is left behind and you presumably alive, um, but sort of like the sole survivor, I feel like is also kind of like a, a good, you know, I, I wouldn't say common, but you know, someone survives the the carnage. But in this case, you kind of don't want her to because she was the perpetrator of it. Whereas in the other case, it'd be, you know, like there's one sole survivor of the murderer. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, they kind of flip the script on the final girl trope. And exactly, in another yes. movie, that, that would be Rose, would be the final girl that, that got saved and made it out. But nope, she gets shot and we it, it, it cuts to her like kind of what we think she she dies like i think that world is 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 pretty done but that that was you know kind of a meta view but i i think is something pretty pretty brave um that jordan peele has been doing in his films is um explaining everything uh so like as far as like what the horror element of it actually is Mm -hmm. um he does a good job like explaining like what the horror is and then being done like the movie doesn't lead you to be like oh well the some you know something else is coming down the pipe it just nope it it ended it it, it, it removed the the sequel possibility kind of aspect to it yeah and i like that these movies you know this movie is self-contained it's just this is it start to finish this is the story i wanted to tell and we're out of here yeah i agree i I watched um uh this new movie i think came out a few months ago the movie x which i would recommend um oh i loved x (laughs) i I hadn't seen it yet i saw it last uh two nights ago and that's like the opposite where you i I don't want to ruin well i'm not gonna ruin the end but it's it has an ambiguous ending so you you and then there is a sequel. So um, I guess it's a prequel technically. Yeah, yeah, I guess I'm very a, yeah, excited for yeah, it's a yeah, it's a prequel. But yeah, that that movie definitely does does that is the final girl trope. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, with that with that same that same thing. Uh, but yeah, uh, did we did we do it? Did I think we do I, it. Did I, we miss I, anything? I don't think so. Yeah, I was just gonna say if you had any last um, any last either things we missed or just you know any last uh parting thoughts um no not really i think we i think we covered it pretty well the only thing i just wanted to i guess hammer hammer home and um i i i just did a just did a video on this too like talking about that that Dahmer series oh yeah i saw that was really good yeah the the commodification of the black body i believe is 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 such a terrifying people uh, like terrifying proposition to bipoc people uh but it's oftentimes we we forget about kind of this this laid back group of people that are seemingly okay with it um and i think that's like kind of the real where the real horror is is you know everybody is doing horrifying things in this in this film like directly to chris but i think a lot of the scarier people are like the 12 people that just left that party like what did they do right. like who like who are who are those people and i think a lot of you know what he did um with with this movie is kind of like just get get in your head about about things uh about you know always not looking over your shoulder but making taking something that seems normal or maybe even a little awkward but making it fairly scary and i i I guess i'll leave you leave you with this so when i went to go see the the film with my uh new new wife at the time uh, uh had only been married about a year we we went to go see the movie and had a blast. It was an amazing experience in theaters. And then we're walking out of the movie and she goes to hold my hand. And we're walking out with a big crowd of a mix of people, mostly black people, but there's white people that 
hadn't seen the film too, but she goes to hold my hand and I don't know how like visible we were to a, to a big group, but I jokingly snatched my hand away from her and turned to her and kind of laughed. And I go, I don't know. You might be walking home. I just, we just all watched the same movie and everybody in the room just started laughing really, really, really hard. Like a, in a racial relationship, just had a, had a funny moment watching get out and being actually really scared of each other at the end of the movie. But I just, I, I just always think of, uh, Think, think of think of that kind of funny funny moment where you get to leave a theater and everybody's like on the same on the same page like with the movie it's a cool thing a good way to put it but yeah i think uh, i think i don't really have any other other thoughts in the movie. i think we did a, a good job but again ryan thank you for joining me and uh you can check out um your new podcast which comes out does it come out tomorrow uh, well what, what's the date it comes out, it comes out uh, October October fourth. It'll be on Spotify and Apple Music and and all that. It, think of a place; it'll be there. Wherever awesome. you're listening to this right now, it it'll be there. Yes, that, that, <laughs> that's great. Uh, but Ryan, thank you for uh, for joining me, and I uh, appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks everyone for listening to Left of the Projector, and we will catch you next week. <laughs>